This is Africa. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. We raised concerns in 2020 around the issue of COVID certificates because we understood that some funeral parlors and some bus operators will provide the fake COVID certificates which do not have a barcode. That's Inkabuto Mabahina, chairman of the Zimbabwe community in South Africa, on Zimbabweans being denied entry because authorities claim many COVID-19 vaccination cards are fraudulent. Details coming up. Also, another female runner has been killed in Kenya and her boyfriend is a suspect. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. An explosion in a market in Nigeria's eastern Taraba state killed three people and injured 19. Nigeria is being plagued by insecurity as armed groups and an Islamist insurgency carry out attacks against communities and security targets. Reuters quotes police spokesman Osman Abdullahi as saying today's blast, possibly from improvised explosives, occurred at a drinking spot in the busy market. Although residents blame bandits for the attack, the spokesman says it was premature to point accusing fingers before a thorough investigation is done. Former Botswana President Ian Kama, who is living in exile in South Africa, has been formally charged with illegal possession of firearms. Kama fled Botswana last October, claiming his life was in danger after falling out with his successor, Mokwitsi Masisi. From Habrone, Botswana, reporter Mokandisi Dube has the details. According to court documents, Kama faces 13 criminal charges, including illegal possession of five firearms. He has been summoned to appear in court in Habron tomorrow, but it remains unclear if he will travel there from South Africa. He contends the charges are trumped up and emanate from his fallout with Masisi, his hand-picked successor. Kama, who ended power to Masisi in 2018, is accused of stealing the weapons during his tenure. In recent interviews with local media, Kama said he is not fleeing from justice, but that he was taking a precaution by leaving the country. He said he no longer has confidence in Botswana's judiciary because it has been captured. Kama claimed there have been attempts to poison him and would be very stupid to take a risk by turning himself in. The state's intelligence organ, the Directorate of Intelligence Services, Edward Robert, however, issued a statement that denied pursuing a political agenda against Kama. In a constitutional democracy, such as is the case in the country, institutions of state are governed by the law on how they operate. In the event such institutions are deemed to have overstepped their mandate, there is a provision for recourse. Kama is accused alongside four others, including former intelligence chief Isaac Hossi and suspended police boss Kiabedri Makope. The five faced a total of 38 charges, including possession of arms of war, an offense which carries a maximum of 10 years imprisonment. Kama's political party, the Botswana Patriotic Front, had no immediate comment on the latest developments. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Havroni, Botswana. Another female runner has been killed in Kenya and her boyfriend is a suspect.
The French news agency AFP reports that Damaris Muti Mitua, a Kenyan-born distance runner who competed for Bahrain, was found dead at the home of her boyfriend. The home is in the high-altitude Kenyan training town of Iten. Police have identified her boyfriend as Ethiopian runner Kokifai. They think she was killed over the weekend and that the boyfriend is believed to have fled the country. Matua's death echoes the killing of Olympic runner and two-time world championship bronze medalist Agnes Tirop, who was fatally stabbed at her home in October. Tirop's partner was arrested and has been charged with murder. Many in Kenya's running community are speaking out and holding protests against what they say is a deep-rooted problem of domestic violence against female athletes in Kenya. There is a public outrage in South Africa after a video emerged of officials from the ruling African National Congress allegedly stealing food supplies meant for emergency responders in flood-ravaged KwaZulu-Natal province. A rainstorm likened to a cyclone recently caused one of the country's worst-ever natural disasters, leaving hundreds dead and tens of thousands homeless in the region. Search and rescue workers are battling raging torrents and mudslides to retrieve the bodies of those still missing. Darren Taylor has more. Stealing the aid that was distributed by the residents of Durban North. The cell phone footage was recorded by volunteer aid worker Vanessa Knight. She was at an airport near the city of Etequini, previously known as Durban, to collect food donated by citizens across South Africa to feed rescue crews. Knight's video shows Etequini city council vehicles packed with the food. This is it. They came and loaded truckloads and are busy stealing the aid, this will go to every single journalist. You will be famous. Mayor Mgolisi Kahunda denies his councillors were stealing the food. He insists they were going to take it to flood victims. But Kahunda can't explain what the councillors were doing at the airport, given that the food distribution effort was a private initiative. Sources in the ANC have told VOA they suspect the councillors were going to give the food to people in their wards to try to ensure their support in upcoming elections. KwaZulu-Natal's ANC Premier, Sihle Zikalala, denies his party's using the disaster for political ends. There is no disaster centre that is meant for a particular part and there is no biasness we are supporting all people equal. But he says allegations that ANC councillors try to steal food aid will be investigated. Leaders of the Democratic Alliance have reached to me saying there must be meetings to discuss this. I responded and we are tomorrow going to the legislature to discuss all of the issues that are presented. And therefore, we are open, we want transparency in this matter. Sikalala says he'll ensure everyone affected by the disaster, regardless of their political persuasion, is helped. I have engaged with the Human Rights Commission. They are coming with 
other chapter nine institutions, including public protector, the auditor general, all of them will be ensuring that they monitor and ensure that there is no biasness or corruption in the process. A special police task team established to investigate corruption during COVID-19 found that ANC officials in KwaZulu-Natal, in concert with private businesses, plundered millions of rands, supposed to be for pandemic relief. Wary of this, South Africa's private business sector set up the Solidarity Fund during the pandemic. The fund will also be used for flood relief. One of the Solidarity Fund's strengths, of course, is it's not accountable to one part of society, but to all of society. Fund administrator Martin Kingston says National Treasury is going to contribute an as-yet-undisclosed sum, expected to be at least a billion rands, about $70 million, with other donations coming from the public and big business. We've had a clean audit for the last two years. We've been able to satisfy everybody that the funding that has been raised has effectively and impactfully got to its intended beneficiaries. There's been no scandal of any sort associated with the funding that has been dispersed by the Solidarity Fund. And I believe that it's therefore held in a position of considerable trust by people uh, broadly within South Africa and therefore is an appropriate route to channel both donations and other commitments in kind. Opposition parties say President Cyril Ramaphosa's ringing endorsement of the Solidarity Fund shows even he doesn't trust the ANC with handling public money, even during a humanitarian tragedy. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The South African government is running into fierce resistance to plans to implement regulations to help control communicable diseases, including COVID-19. With the abolition of the National State of Disaster Act, the government wants some of its regulations to return under the National Health Act. Opposition parties, religious organizations and the sports and entertainment communities are calling some of the proposed regulations draconian and a desire by the government to control the population. Tusokumalo reports from Johannesburg. Under the proposed regulations set to be implemented by the 1st of May, there will be mandatory medical examination isolation and treatment for anyone found to be afflicted with a disease that can cause an outbreak. Masks will be mandatory for indoor gatherings and on public transport. Travelers entering South Africa will be required to produce a vaccination certificate or PCR test not older than 72 hours. The regulations also impose restrictions on gatherings, with vaccination certificates or PCR tests required for gatherings of more than 1,000 people indoors and 2,000 outdoors. It also empowers the Department of Health to give advice on curfews, lockdown, restrictions on economic activity, sports, religious gatherings and sale of alcohol. Celia Brink, the Democratic Alliance Shadow Minister of Cooperative Governance, told VOA that his party will use all means possible to block the regulations from being implemented in their current state. You can be forced by the state, if these regulations are passed, to undergo certain medication. And we think these extraordinary 
powers should not be granted to any government, not on a permanent basis. Religious groups have labelled the regulations discriminatory by barring the unvaccinated and those without PCR tests from attending certain gatherings. Business is also worried by a clause that grant the Department of Health power to recommend shutting down economic activities without mandatory wide consultation. Some parliamentarians have described the regulations as draconian and indicative of the government's appetite to control citizens. However, Health Minister Joe Pasha told the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee on Health that the government only wants to put enough measures in place to control further pandemics. There is no desire from myself as a minister and the team from health to want to continue to control people's lives unnecessarily. So far, the government has received over 150,000 comments on the proposed regulations, which include a big chunk of objections. Some now fear that the government will ignore the objections and still go ahead with the regulations. But Deputy Minister of Health Spongseni Lomo told the parliamentary briefing that the people's views will be respected. Everything will be transparent and open and there will be a clear audit of that process. The minister will really make all that available to all South Africans. South Africa has seen remarkable reduction in COVID-19 infections, hospitalizations and deaths, with experts urging the government to drop most of the imposed restrictions. On Friday, just before the long Easter holiday, just over 1,200 new infections and two deaths were recorded in a 24-hour cycle. The total number of COVID-related deaths has just passed 100,000, while over 3.7 million people have been infected. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. In the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, after recent clashes between the armed forces and M23 rebels, people from the Jomba and Beweza settlements have fled to other locations deemed safe, but now hundreds say they have been left behind. Journalist Zanem Netai Zaidi visited some of the displaced and files this report. In the corridors of Rugabo Elementary School in the city of Ruchuru in North Kivu province, Iragua Abraham, displaced from Jomba, walks with her two-year-old daughter. He's happy to have found her and her mother two days after the panic that followed the fighting. He tells me that when the war broke out, he was in the field. When he returned, he saw the people were fleeing, so he too had fled without his family. Now that he is in Ruchuru, he is happy to find all his family members alive. He has found his family, but he still has trouble finding them or even finding something to cover his children at night because it is cold in the classroom that serves as their shelter. He tells me that they are living in a very difficult situation because they fled without taking anything with them. They beg in the street for food and at night they sleep very badly on the ground. Humanitarian organizations in the administrative district of Ruchuru territory 
have quickly begun to register the households in the elementary school in order to plan the response, said Clement Saboba, coordinator of a group called Young Volunteers from the city. It tells me that the registration has already begun for the displaced of Jomba in Ruchuru territory to know the exact number of displaced to plan a response. Civil society groups in Ruchuru are asking humanitarian organizations to prioritize the needs of displaced persons. Samson Rukira is a human rights defender. He tells me that the displaced need humanitarian assistance. He suggests that humanitarians should also think about medical care because some displaced people are dying for lack of it. Fighting has stopped for several days. The M23 have signed and made public a communique withdrawing the fighters from all the positions they had taken, but the displaced are still reluctant to return home, fearing a resumption of hostilities. Zanem Netizaidi returns from Ruchuru for VOA News. Zimbabweans traveling to South Africa are being denied entry because authorities claim many COVID-19 vaccination cards are fraudulent. Eddie Gando has more on the story. Zimbabwean vaccination cards are failing. The scans for quick response or cure are called rendering them useless. COVID-19 vaccination cards are meant to feature a QR code which bears the holder's personal details, including the date and place of vaccination. Travelers and observers say, despite the government announcement last year that COVID-19 certificates would feature a scannable QR barcode for verification, this has not been the case. At the time, health ministry officials also stated that the certificates would be linked to the person's passport and national identity document. Observers say the current situation leaves room for dishonest people to present fake vaccination cards in the process, hampering genuinely vaccinated persons wishing to travel to neighboring countries. Nabuto Mabena is the chairman of this noble community in South Africa. We raised the concerns in 2020 around the issue of COVID certificates because we understood that some funeral parlors and some bus operators will provide the fake COVID certificates which do not have a barcode. Mabena says, his organization has been calling on members who visit South Africa regularly to see family members or for trade to go to the recommended labs. The danger of uh, buying a COVID certificate is that if you are positive, you travel to meet your family members, you will spread this uh, pandemic to your very own family members. Doing COVID test is not about pleasing the immigration officials. It is about understanding or knowing one's status so that you make a decision once once you are positive on what you have to do uh, so that you do not spread the pandemic to others. The Health and Child Care Ministry says 3.5 million out of 16 million have been fully vaccinated for COVID-19. Observers say activated vaccination cards are vital for verification processes. The ministry revealed to the local media that the process is poised to be decentralized to the country's various provinces. Michael Ndiweni is the executive director of the Blair Vendors and Traders Association. 
he and other observers say, because the data is manually entered upon vaccination, members of the public may not be aware that they have to visit government offices to have the information uploaded electronically. But when I when I, I when I traveled to SA, I went to register my, my vaccination card and I could scan with my phone and it was showing it was showing the details. For me it worked. Health and Child Care Ministry Secretary Jasper Chimeza revealed that the COVID-19 certificates that have been issued and QR codes which require activation. He explained that could be done by loading electronic data on pre-printed vaccination certificates with the government setting up centers to explain the process. Meanwhile, travelers living in remote areas away from the major towns will continue to be inconvenienced or will still resort paying bribes to border officials to be allowed passage. Reporting of VOA, this is Adigondo in Blawayo. Zimbabwe. Hundreds of Ethiopians lined up outside the Russian embassy in Addis Ababa this week in hopes of being recruited to fight for Moscow in its invasion of Ukraine. The embassy has dismissed claims it is recruiting foreign fighters and says the Ethiopians are there to show their solidarity with Russia. Galmodawit reports from Addis Ababa. For the past several days, Ethiopians have stood in long lines outside the Russian embassy in the capital. Their hope is to be accepted by Russia to take part in its invasion of Ukraine. Witnesses say the embassy is not bringing hopefuls inside, but say staffers have come outside to take documents. Feleka Gebrakidan is among the Ethiopians who have spent long hours waiting outside the embassy. He has military experience. He says having served in the Ethiopian military for over a decade. He says, we are former members of the Ethiopian army. We do not have a job at the moment. We have heard that the Russian embassy is now recruiting and we are here with our credentials. I have brought the clearance I got after serving in the military. Feleke says he has been at the gate of the embassy for three days but has not managed to get inside. He says he plans to come back and try again. Tedrosime lives next to the Russian embassy in Addis. He says he is not happy to see his fellow citizens volunteering for the war. Why would I fight on behalf of foreign nation? I was so angry when people poured in for registration to the embassy. Money did not show up when the Ethiopian Ministry of Defense was calling to join our army. They are now going for Russians and I am sad about it. We should prioritize the peace of our country. Some of the volunteers are motivated by economics. They are desperate to get a job, even a potentially daily job overseas, because they are unemployed. Also, most Ethiopians see Russia as a friendly nation politically. In 1980s, Ethiopia was under communist leadership, and there are thousands of Ethiopian military personnel who were trained in the Soviet Union. Maria Chernokina is the press attache for the Russian embassy in Addis Ababa. Speaking to BOA, she acknowledged that some line are carrying documents, but said, that reflects their own willingness and hope. She says the Russian embassy is not recruiting people for any purpose and that would not comply with its responsibility at the diplomatic mission. Since our began, she adds, Ethiopians have been calling and emailing the embassy to voice their solidarity with Russia. Ternukina says the line outside the embassy is also part of that. Contacted by VOA, the Ukrainian embassy in Addis Ababa declined to say anything about the lines. The Ethiopian Ministry of Foreign Affairs did not respond to a request for a comment. Galmodait for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. 
from the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voanews.com. On behalf of our producer, Multibilia Baro, thank you again for tuning in and choosing the Voice of America. brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, afrobeat to ndombolo and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905 and 2005 UTC right after the International